afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Yeah, I'm going to go fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, yeah, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Then early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, you got any fish? Catch anything? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, by the way, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, let's eat some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Then when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. We will go that far. <laughs> A lot going on there, huh? It's a good story. Um, fascinating story, but what's it all about? That's always the question that we ask. What, what's it all about and what in the world does it have to do with us? Um, you, know, you know, we ask these very simple questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about me and you and us together and all of humanity? And is there something that this story is calling us into? Is there something that this story is uh, calling us to do? So hopefully we'll sort of We'll sort of get to each of those things, uh, not explicitly, but I, th I think we'll get to each of those as we, 
as we walk through this story. But before we do this, um, I have to tell you about something that happened. So this week, as I was reading through this story, I was, uh, I was reminded of something that I learned a long time ago, and I can't remember when or where I learned it. I think it, it may have been in college back in Psych 101, or it may have been in something else uh, that I read uh, later on. But it's this, it's this idea in psychology called the Ziegernick effect. The Ziegernick effect. And it goes a little bit something like this. Uh, we tend to remember things in our lives, tasks that are interrupted or incomplete or unfinished, uh, way better than we remember things that we have finished, or that we have completed. Like there's something that happens, something that goes on in our brains, in our, in our psyches, uh, that sort of when we accomplish a task, when we complete something, there's something that goes on inside of our brains. It's almost like there's a, a checklist, like we check a box, okay, I got that done, and then we, we sort of forget about it. But when we leave something unfinished, when something is incomplete, or when we fail at something, uh, those are the things that we think about. Those are the things that sort of gnaw at the edges of our brain. That's the Ziegernick effect. And I think, I think that that's one of the reasons why we all have this, this voice in our heads. I think you know what I'm talking about. We all have this voice in our heads, or, or it's like this recording in our brains that keeps playing over and over and over again, and it sounds something like this. You forgot it again, man. You didn't get that done again. You messed up again. You're a failure, right? And then we, we sort of feel this sense of guilt on our shoulders, and we engage in this sort of self-destructive behavior of, of, of self-shaming. Like, the things that we accomplish, we sort of check off and we let them go, but the things where we've left them unfinished or they were interrupted, we couldn't get them done or, or we failed, we, we remember those things. Those are the things that stick in our brains. Anybody ever have that feeling? Anybody have those? Oh, yeah. So I'm not alone. That's good for, for one thing. It has a name. The, the Ziegernick effect, okay? So let's take that and we'll put it in a box on a shelf and we'll put it right there. We'll come back to it later. Don't let me forget that that's there because I want to bring it up, okay? Uh, so here the disciples were. They just come through one of the craziest, most hectic, uh, weird, disappointing, tragic, horrific, and yet somehow most exhilarating light week of their, of their lives. Like, I don't know how to explain the last week, do you? I mean, it's kind of hard. In fact, if you read the stories about Jesus' last week, especially around uh, his death and resurrection, if you read the stories that his followers wrote about it, uh, it seems like they can't figure out how to do it either, how to tell the story either. In fact, if you take all the, especially the, the stories about the resurrection, you put all those stories together and you make one big large narrative, it's, it sort of comes off as sort of haphazardly told. There, there are things that don't line up. There are things that, that, don't, that don't match. At first, Mary thinks that Jesus' body is stolen and she's super confused. Peter goes into the tomb and he sees a, a strips of linen laying at the head and the feet of where Jesus would have been laying in the tomb, but he's not there. 
there are different numbers of angels in different stories. In one story, there are two angels, and they're inside the tomb. In another story, there's one angel. He's dressed in white, and he's sitting on top of the large stone that had been moved from the entrance of the tomb, because when you move a stone that large, you got to sit on it and kick your feet up for a little bit, because you're tired. In one story, there's, there's an earthquake, right? There's, so there's, in, in another story, Mary confuses Jesus as a gardener. So there's all sorts of things about this story that you can, you can sort of tell that they're not quite sure exactly how to tell the story. When you think about it, it makes sense. These people are trying to make sense of something that happened. They're trying to make sense of, of a man rising from the dead. And I'm not the first one to, to recognize this, nor am I the first one to say it, but when you read these stories, if you read all the stories about the resurrection, it almost seems as if these people are trying to find words for an event that has no description, for which there is not adequate language. So they're confused. They're bewildered. And then Jesus appears to them again. He even appears to the one who has little faith. In fact, he appears to the one who has no faith, Thomas. He does not believe, right? He comes in through a locked door. And even though he enters into the space where they are in that upper room, once again, hiding out, he comes through a door and they can still see him. He walks through a door and they can still touch him. He walks through a door and they can still, they can still talk with him. And then after he gives them his spirit, John says he breathes his spirit on them, gives them peace, sends them out into the world with a sense of calling, a sense of, of mission. He says, go bring my love and my forgiveness to the world. Uh, after he does that, he leaves again. And then his disciples find themselves on the beach and they're confused. You can tell they're on the beach bewildered. They don't know what to do next. They're just sort of sitting around on the beach twiddling their thumbs. And then Peter speaks up. He's always the one that speaks up first. And he says, look, guys, I'm going to go fishing. Who's with me? And I imagine that the other disciples were thinking to themselves, oh, that's a good idea. Because we know fishing. We know all about fishing. You see, three years before, when Jesus had first called them, most of them were fishermen. They knew fishing. They knew what they were doing. And so they're like, okay, let's go back to our old lives. Let's go back to, to when, when before Jesus. Let's go back to the thing that we know how to do best. Let's, let's go back to fishing. So they're like, okay, we'll go with you. And then they go out and they fish all night. And these experienced fishermen may have been a little rusty after three years off. They didn't catch a thing. And then some dude from the shore early in the morning yells from the shore, hey dudes, have you caught anything? And they're like, no. And the guy says, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. So they do, and they catch a, a bunch of fish, not just a few fish, but a whole bunch of fish. They can hardly haul it in. In fact, the net should be breaking, but it doesn't break. And, and then all of a sudden, John realizes, says to Simon Peter, I think that's Jesus. And Peter's like, OMG, it totally is. And he grabs his coat and he jumps in and he swims to the shore. Eventually they all meet there and, and Jesus has breakfast for them, bread and fish waiting for them. They sit, they eat, they talk, they laugh. Like, it's just like, 
It's just like old times. And then Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? More than what? Like the boat? Fishing gear? The other, the other disciples? Lord, you know that I do. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then two more times, do you love me? You know that I do. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Three times. To echo, it's unmistakable, by the way. Maybe you've heard this before. Three times to echo the three denials that Peter had denied Jesus earlier in the story. In fact, in that part of the story, there's mention of a coal fire burning, right? And then there's another mention of a coal fire burning. It's, it's a very specific word in the original language. It's the only two places in the New Testament. So obviously, this is an echo of the denials. Peter, do you love me? Three times to echo it. What a fascinating story. Oh, it is so good and so deep and so rich and so layered. But what's it all about? I mean, where, what does it have to do with us? I think on some level, I think this story is about failure. I think it's about failure, and I think it's about forgiveness. Not one or the other. I think it's about failure and forgiveness. These, these people had spent three years with Jesus. These people had followed him really closely. They listened to what he taught. They watched how he offered a different way of living, a different way of being in the world. They prayed. They learned how to pray like Jesus prayed because he taught them. They tried to do all the kinds of things that they saw Jesus doing in the world, and they had a little bit of success. They actually healed some people. They cast out some demons. They crossed all sorts of barriers to welcome people in this world who've been pushed to the side and marginalized. People who have been excluded, they, they wound up including. And then after he was resurrected, he appeared to them. He gave them his spirit, his presence. He told them to go out into the world and to live into this new reality called forgiveness and reconciliation and bringing his love to the world. He encouraged them to live like he taught them to live. And instead, what do they do? They find themselves on the beach, bewildered, confused. And they're like, let's go fishing. Let's go back to the way it was before. Let's go back in time to before Jesus. I mean, he was resurrected and met them, breathed his spirit into them and said, go into the world. My peace I give to you. Now bring that into the world. And where are they? They're on the beach, confused. What do we do now? Let's go back to the way it was. It's like, it just feels like a failure, doesn't it? Oh, now this feels like a good point to just stop and pause. And this isn't really hard. Like this is a natural place for me to stop and pause and say, Oh my goodness, that's me. Anybody else feeling the same way? It's okay. Back to the way it was. Like, I, I think we've all done this. I think we've all been in the place where we, we sort of, I don't know, feel a connection with God, feel a, feel a connection with the divine. We 
we feel a nudge. We, we, maybe we hear a word, um, and we're pretty sure we know what we need to do next. Like, we know, we know the change that we need to make. Like, we know that there's a pattern behavior that, that we're, 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 we're living into, and, and we know that that needs to, to change. Uh, we know that there's someone out there that, you know, with whom we need to make amends or, you know, who knows what it is. There's any number of different things. And we hear that word. Maybe we, maybe we get that feeling here when we're, when we're singing a song or when someone is praying or when somebody is speaking words or maybe it's just interacting with one another and we feel God calling us to something. Oh, and then... The reality of Monday comes and the regular week sort of catches up with us and, and then we just sort of let it go and we drop it and we forget about it and we don't do it and we, we, we go back, right? F- failure, like, oh man, we've been there. And then, and then there's the failure of Peter. You know, I bring this up because John brought it up and I think John brought it up because Jesus brought it up. Jesus echoes Peter's three denials before his crucifixion with three questions. Do you love me? Three opportunities for Peter to express his love and make amends with Jesus. Notice that you know, this is the perfect opportunity. It's probably something that most of us would do. But this is the opportunity for Jesus to say, I told you so, dude. You denied me three times. I called it and make him feel guilt and shame. But no, he doesn't do any of that. He just asks him three times, do you love me? Three opportunities for, people face, for Peter face-to-face to, to make amends with him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But here's what's interesting about this part of the story. Jesus, the first two times he asks Peter, and maybe you've heard this before, he uses a very specific word for love. He uses the word agape, Peter, do you agape me? And this is the deepest kind of love. This is the self-sacrificing, self-giving, everything I have kind of love. It's the kind of love that we talk about when two people get married. It's that kind of love, self-sacrificing, self-giving, the deepest, deepest kind of love. Peter, do you agape me? And Peter answers back, Lord, you know everything, I philia you which is a different word for love in the Greek. It's where we get our word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You know I love you like a brother. It's not as deep. That love isn't as self-sacrificing. You know that I love you. The first two times Peter says, or Jesus says, do you agape me? And he says, you know that I filiate you. You know that I filiate you. And then the third time, Jesus asks him the question, Peter, do you filia me? Do you filia me? You know that I do. I filia you. So there's this agape love, and Peter's like, I got filia. I can't go that far. And Jesus then meets him in that place and says, Do you filia me? He meets him in that place knowing that his filia will eventually turn into agape. He meets him right there where he is. Oh, it's dramatic. And then, if you think about it, he did the exact same thing with the disciples before. 
He meets them right where they are in their shortcoming, in their failure. He meets them. He catches them going back to their old ways. It's like, well, he's gone. We don't know what to do next. I guess we'll go fishing. He meets them there in that place, their old way of living. And in the middle of their failure, what does he do? What does he do? He blesses them. In the middle of their failure, he blesses them. They catch 153 fish. He serves them. He cooks for them. He gives them breakfast. Gives them himself. He doesn't say anything about it, but his non-judgmental presence just signals love. It signals grace. It signals acceptance. It signals signals forgiveness. So back to the Ziegernick effect. No one reminded me and I remembered. I don't know what that voice inside your head is saying to you. I don't know what it keeps telling you. I don't know I don't know what that recording is. You know, that recording that that plays itself over and over and over again. And it reminds you of of all the things that you've left undone, all the things that you've left unfinished, all of the things where where you failed. So I don't don't know what what kind of guilt you're carrying or I I don't know what sense of shame you have. I don't know what that burden burden is for you. But even though I don't, I don't know, I'm pretty confident in this, that God will meet you there. That's the place where God goes. That's the place for God. That's the place where God shows up. Maybe right now. Maybe here. Maybe in this moment. It's like we're on the beach eating breakfast with Jesus. And God is offering you his non-judgmental presence. And just the fact that he is near to you here now in this place, it signals grace, it signals love, it signals acceptance, forgiveness. Like you don't have to carry that around, it's okay. God is here anyway. So I think this story on one level is about failure and forgiveness. I also think this story is about, it's about doing things that we might not want to do. I think it's about going places that, that we might not want to go. See, here's the deal. When we have breakfast with Jesus on the beach, he doesn't just leave us uh, full, fat with breakfast and satisfied, feeling forgiven. No. It's, it's more than that. There's more to the story than that. And I, I think this has something to do. I think this is what this whole throw your net on the other side of the boat thing is all about. Right? They're experienced fishermen. Like they know what they're doing. They don't need any help from some dude on the shore. They get it. They've been here before. They've been doing it this way for a very long time. They know what they're doing. And yet here's Jesus saying, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Do it differently than you're used to. They do, and they bring in a whole bunch of fish. Jesus revisits Peter's three denials of him. You think Peter wanted to go there? 
no. Three times, do you love me? Three times, feed my sheep. Then he says, when you're older, somebody's going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And then he says, follow me. Where did following Jesus get them to go before? A whole lot of places where they just didn't want to go. So here's what I think is going on here. I think Jesus is saying to his disciples, feed my sheep just as I have just fed you. And I, I think that there are a whole lot more sheep out there. Maybe some who don't even know they're sheep, but, but they're out there. And in, in order for you to do it, Jesus says, you're going to have to throw your nets on the other side of the boat. You're going to have to to do some things you're not used to doing. You're going to have to go into some places you're not used to, to going, maybe some places that you really don't want to go. You're going to have to deal with some tough issues that you really don't want to have to deal with. You're going to have to find people who have no hope, no life, no community, no love, no justice, and these are the people you might not, you might not want to be with, but throw your net on the other side of the boat anyway. Do it. Just see what happens. Do what you're not used to doing. Go where you're not used to going. So where might God be calling you to go today? What kinds of things might God be asking you to, to do differently? Now, these are, these are hard things. And, and maybe, maybe this is another opportunity for you to hear and feel a nudge from God and then just drop it tomorrow because Monday... But maybe you want to tell somebody about it. Maybe you want to have a conversation about it. What, what might God be asking you to do differently today? Where might he be asking you to go that you might not want, want to go? Here's the thing. I love this part. When the disciples put their net on the other side of the boat, when they hauled in a big catch, when they did what they weren't used to doing, it was only then, only then, that they recognized Jesus. It was only then that they realized that it was Jesus. It was only then that Jesus was revealed to them. Look, here's the deal. We meet God here in worship. Yeah, let's not deny that or forget that. But I think there are a whole lot more opportunities for us to, to meet God. God out there, like between Sundays. Here's what I think this story may be hinting at. Jesus becomes a little more recognizable, a little more, a little more real when we're obedient in doing the things that we're not used to doing and going the places we're not used to going and reaching the people we're not used to reaching and feeding the sheep we're not used to interacting with. Maybe Jesus becomes a little more flesh and blood when we're engaged in mission, when we're feeding sheep, when we're offering forgiveness, when we're loving others between Sundays. Oh, I think God is asking us to go where we don't necessarily want to go and do some things we might not really want to do. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. What does that look like for you? Here's the last thing. I think this story is about a, a sense of calling. And you know, when I, when I was younger, I used to think that 
that a sense of a sense of calling or God's call in our life was something like really specific, like really specific. Like, have you heard the phrase "God had a plan, has a plan for your life"? Like, I thought that plan was wow, super detailed. God has a plan. Like, each human being on the planet had a specific plan, a specific task, a specific job, a specific occupation that God was calling us to. And it was, for me, it was almost like God's calling was like a bus, right? You got to pay attention. You got to be on the right corner. You got to wait for the right bus. And if you miss the bus, you're, you're out of luck. <laughs> you're out of luck. You missed the bus, you're out of luck. When I was younger, I thought God was calling me to be a doctor. Like, this was very confusing to me when I was younger. I thought God was calling me to be a doctor. And so I, I did the things that you do to enter into that track, but I felt unsettled and didn't feel right. And so I was like, no, that's not the bus. You know, maybe the bus is something else. And so I thought, God wanted me to be a teacher. Yeah, let's, I'll, I'll be a teacher and a basketball and baseball coach. I'm, I'm going to do that. I thought that was the bus. That's the right bus. I'm going to get on that bus. It's a very specific bus. Right? And somehow I ended up doing this. I still don't even know how I ended up, ended up doing this. Because you got to get on the right bus. But I don't think like that anymore. I don't. Because I think, I think God's call in our lives is more simple than that. Not easy, but I think, it's, I think it's more simple than that. God's call in our lives is to love. Do you love me? Jesus says, okay. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then Feed others like I have fed you. Give grace to others. Sustain the lives of others. Bring joy to others' lives. Bring satisfaction to others' lives. All the things you feel when you eat a really good meal. All that stuff, you know? Oh, it feels so good. Bring that feeling to other people's lives. Bring that reality into other people's lives. Bring my love, grace, healing, and forgiveness into other people's lives lives. Love others like I have loved you. All that other stuff, I think God just kind of lets us figure that out. And as long as we're loving people where we are, I think we can be sure that we're living into God's calling for our lives. I think it's less about the specific things that we do with our lives and more, or not, more about whether or not we're doing it with love and in love and for love. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling with what you're doing, that's okay. Maybe you're, right where, maybe you're right where God wants you to be. Maybe you're right where you need to be at this moment. And maybe, and maybe that will change for you. Maybe that will be different. Just, just feed some sheep. Just feed some sheep. Wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, you do what you're doing with love and you can be sure that, you know what? I think you're living into the, the divine's call on your life. Just do it with love. So those are the things I think this story is about. I think it's about, I think it's about failure and forgiveness. I think it's about that, 
that voice inside of our heads that keeps telling us, ah, you messed up again. And I think it's about Jesus meeting us there in that place, offering love and grace and acceptance and, and forgiveness. But it's not a forgiveness that just leaves us there feeling satisfied, oh, good, at least I'm still, at least I'm forgiven and loved. I get to go to heaven one day. No, it's more than that, right? God calls us to go places, to do things we're not used to doing. And most of all, it's a call to love. It's a call to give our lives to others. Now, this story is probably about a whole lot more than that, but that's probably good enough for now. You know, breakfast on the beach with Jesus, which is, I think, what we just experienced here, always winds up being pretty good. Let's pray. God, thank you for meeting us here in this place, for for the ways in which you reveal yourself to us. And, and some of us in the room, God, I, I, I think might be feeling, feeling that sense of, of guilt, maybe some shame around some certain things. And, and maybe even right now that voice is, is talking to us. And, and God, we just ask you to meet us there in that place. We're not afraid to let you in to that place. And you're not afraid to go there. Help us to embrace you in that place and understand your grace and accept your forgiveness and help it to transform us into people who have courage enough to go to places we might not want to go, to stretch our, our lives, our thinking, our relationships with, to places where it might make us uncomfortable with the understanding that, that it's when we do that, that suddenly those are the places where you show up and make yourself known. Those are the places where you show up and you make yourself a little more flesh and blood. And God, help us to live lives of love. It's not easy, it's super hard, but help us to live lives of love wherever it is we are, whenever it is we find ourselves there. We want to follow you because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing.